0: Compliance Clarified,
1: a podcast by Thomson Reuters Regulatory Intelligence.
0: Hello and welcome to Series 2, Episode 7 of Thomson Reuters Regulatory Intelligence's Compliance Clarified podcast. My name is Susanna Hammond and I'm Senior Regulatory Intelligence Expert here at TRI. Now today I'm delighted to say that I'm joined by my colleague from TR, Todd Eric, to discuss all things crypto and to highlight a new special report from TRI which takes a look at the potential benefits and indeed challenges of cryptos, together with an overview of the regulatory landscape for cryptocurrencies such as Bitcoin. Now, we are particularly honored today because we have a very special guest with us, Kevin Bate. Let me take a moment to introduce Kevin a little more. He's a partner at Delta Strategy Group, a government affairs and regulatory strategy firm, where he focuses on regulatory issues and solutions related to trading and markets involving futures, derivatives, equities and digital coins like Bitcoin. He's worked on the Hill as derivatives policy counsel in the Senate, served as a chief trial lawyer at the US CFTC and as a senior enforcement lawyer at the UK financial regulator, the FCA. He's also been involved in digital assets since before 2012. So he was an early adopter on this point and his firm was the first in Washington, DC to represent blockchain companies on the Hill before the federal agencies. Now, moving on to the body of the podcast, we are looking very much at digital transformation and the deployment of crypto assets, which have such a big potential to make payments and transfers more efficient. But, and it really is a but, in order for the full benefits to be reaped, financial services firms, regulators, and policymakers are all going to have to come to terms with the rise of a whole new class of product. One of the key issues here is that of definitions, or rather the lack of consistent definitions. Regulators everywhere need to continue to work toward consistent definitions of what is and indeed what is not inside the regulatory perimeter. Now, depending on where you look, cryptos may be treated as a currency, an investment, a security, or indeed not at all. Cryptos, Bitcoin in particular, may have gone mainstream even, but if they are to deliver their potential, there is an absolute need for clarity about how they are supervised. So, Kevin, taking the US as an example, where are the US regulators on defining cryptos?
2: Well, first of all, Susanna and Todd, thank you very much for having me on the podcast. It's a real uh, uh, honor uh, to get to participate. Um, And what a great question. Uh, In the United States, how are crypto assets treated by regulators? Well. The, the answer is it depends on which regulator we're talking about. Um, each U.S. regulator views crypto assets through its own unique regulatory lens. Each of these regulators has a statute and um, a series of regulations, and they look at digital assets through that lens of their particular set of regulations. And they don't always see the assets the same way. So, for instance, um, The IRS uh, treats digital assets like Bitcoin and Ether as property for purposes of determining tax liability. So if you were to buy and sell, you'd have to calculate your short term or long term capital gains and pay tax on that accordingly. Um, But note, they don't treat it like currency. FinCEN, the the Treasury unit that's uh, responsible for preventing financial crime, money laundering, that sort of thing, They do treat digital assets like Bitcoin as currency and um, entities which uh, are sort of in the money transmission, money services businesses have an obligation under FinCEN to file um, uh, currency transaction reports for thresholds over $10,000, suspicious activity reports. So very similar to a bank. Um, They have to treat these like currency transactions and report them to FinCEN accordingly. Um, The OCC has rules for banks that want to um, custody these digital assets. Um, The CFTC treats them, unlike some of the other regulators, as a commodity to the extent that they meet the definition of a commodity. Um, And then the SEC, they look at many of these and they see them as securities. Um, And uh, oftentimes they see them as unregistered or illegal securities. It it really is all over the place uh, in the United States, and that is sort of a a, a construct of our regulatory regime being somewhat uh, fragmented. We have a lot of different regulators here in the U.S.
0: Okay, and this is a very pejorative question, I suppose, on one level. So given the U.S. is a leader in so much, is the U.S. going to end up as a leader or a follower in crypto regulation?
2: Yeah, well, that's, that's, that's a question that's on a lot of our minds here in Washington, D.C. Um, and, you know, as someone who works with a lot of companies in the digital asset space, the blockchain space, um, you know, there are a lot of businesses that uh, are dreamed up in the United States. They have U.S. founders and potentially U.S. investors, um, but their investors uh, or their lawyers are often telling them, hey, go to some of these other jurisdictions like Switzerland or Singapore or Bermuda. And the reason is it's not clear that the U.S. is going to be a leader um, because we have such fragmented and in some instances unclear regulation. Um, So it's sort of the U.S. is to lose at this point, I'd say. A lot of these companies want to be in the United States because we have such vibrant and robust markets. But the, the fragmented nature of our regulatory system is making it very difficult for companies to have clear and harmonized regulations and that regulatory certainty that's important for um, growing a business in, in the United States or in anywhere. anywhere. So, so
1: Kevin, yeah. let, me, let me interrupt for one second. So what, what are the prospects for possibly resolving, you know, this... Uh, you know, fragmentation or, you know, call it almost a turf war between the different regulatory bodies in the U.S. I know there was a bill passed in the House, potentially going to the Senate, calling for a working group and coordination. Um, you know, how, how do you see some of this getting resolved? Or, you know, what are the prospects for resolution on, you know, this, call it messy cobweb of, of, of regulatory bodies in the U.S.?
2: Yeah, so that that House bill um, was one that we worked on uh, pre-COVID. Uh, really, you know, proud that, that that thing at least got through the House. But in uh, that bill, calls for a working creep between the SEC and the CFTC, and I think those are probably the two uh, most important frontline regulators. You know, the CFTC is a market regulator, the SEC is um, you know more of a customer protection facing type regulator, um, but Harmonization there would be helpful, but it's, it's actually not enough um, because you still have, you know, 50 states and uh, they all have their own regulations. And then you have all the other regulators that I mentioned before, like the IRS and FinCEN. So um, it's not terribly promising right now. Um, there are some bright spots we've got uh, in the Senate, the Innovation Caucus, Senator Lummis and Senator Sinema. That's a bipartisan uh, caucus that's trying to promote the, that sort of innovation in the U.S. Senator, um, well, the, the, the recently passed in the Senate by Schumer and a group of others, was a bipartisan, uh, the Endless Frontier Act. And in that act, they set out tech priorities for the United States to remain competitive. And they, they did identify distributed ledger technology as one of those technology priorities for the United States. And that type of leadership could be helpful but on the other hand, you have members who are they're looking at things like volatility in the crypto markets and um, some of the purported concerns over uh, carbon uh, with the mining of Bitcoin, and and so I think there are more headwinds than there are tailwinds right now in terms of getting some sort of harmonized regulation across the board for digital assets.
1: Let, let me let me also throw out uh, a question for Kevin. Um, <clears throat> I think what we're seeing right now in China, um, you know, with the emphasis on uh, you know the digital yuan, the digital central bank currency, and call it a de-emphasis or a crackdown on mining and Bitcoin things. Is there any chance that something similar evolves here in the U.S. where? You know, it, cryptos end up taking a backseat to a digital central bank currency or viewed as maybe a competitive threat to it. Um, you know, what, what's your thoughts on that? Or, or is that is that me putting a tinfoil hat on?
2: Well, no, look, I, I think that there are a lot of different policymakers who have in the U.S. who have very different views of um, Bitcoin and other digital assets. And while I think it will remain difficult for businesses to get the regulatory clarity they want, I I don't think that we're in a situation where our government is going to come out like China and just try to outright ban Bitcoin. And as a a practical matter, or and I say Bitcoin, but that's a proxy for digital assets in general. As a practical matter, um, you can't. You can't ban Bitcoin, and that's sort of the beauty of Bitcoin, Um, you know, it's decentralized and it's going to go on whether or not one particular country tries to prohibit it uh, or not. Um, What the U.S. can do and where we've seen most of the regulatory friction is at the on and off ramps. So you can buy and sell Bitcoin peer to peer all day long. But when you want to turn that into fiat currency, you need to go through an intermediary like an exchange and or a bank. So um, the rules around, say, like the FinCEN rules around KYC and and any money laundering, that type of thing, that's where the U.S. can exert regulatory um, influence. And that's where we've been seeing it. So they might make it harder, but I don't think that they're really capable of completely crushing it. I don't think they would want to do that. I think that would be... um, Bad for the U.S. on a number. Of, that's good to of, hear. Uh, of yeah, that's right. And I, I've heard that. Uh, and it's not just me. I've, I've actually heard that from senior level folks within the administration and and uh, and FinCEN, um, which gave me comfort. Like I think that they want to make sure the the guardrails are there, but it also but they also recognize that it's not in anybody's interest in this country to just outright ban Bitcoin mm. uh, or crypto.
0: So this is a very unfair question. If you had to take a bet, how far away is the US from a digital dollar or central bank digital dollar?
2: Um, ooh, that's a great question and totally unfair. I'm no, kidding. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think we're still a long ways off. I think the United States recognizes that it can't put its head in the sand anymore. And just ignore this thing because of the moves that China and other jurisdictions have made. China is clearly they see the advantages of having absolute and total control over a a currency and the people using it. And uh, digital yuan makes sense over there. Uh, I think the United States um, is you know we know their their pilot programs now being undertaken. We could talk a bit about the work that Chris Giancarlo is doing. You know, a good friend and, and uh, kind of a leader in this space in the United States. Um, but, you know, I th- there's a balance for the United States. I mean, we do have an outdated, you know, we're talking about infrastructure and, and Biden's goal to, you know, um, improve our infrastructure. Our digital infrastructure is also crumbling, our payment system is, you know, 30 years old. So. Um, updating our payment system and, and, and potentially using DLT to do that in a digital dollar, I think that's a good thing for the United States. But there are a lot of things we've got to figure out is privacy being one of the key ones. And that's something that Chris Giancarlo in his digital dollar um, white paper talks about. It's, it's making sure that we maintain the privacy of transactions. And now some people would say that I'm being idealistic and that Privacy in the United States went away a long, long time ago. Um, but there is still, you know, today you can have a transaction with somebody, give them a dollar. And that's really just between you and that person, you know, if, if, if you want it to be. And I think that is important to be able to, to maintain that financial privacy.
0: And, and this is a very personal opinion for me. I think that's one of the reasons the domestic digital one will fly, I think the potential aspirations for an international digital yuan may not because of that transparency and control come privacy issue. Um, And that's, I mean, coming from the Bank of England's perspective, they are very clear in, in their thought process for digital currencies that actually that level of anonymity that you get in fiat currency, they wish to be able to preserve as much as that is feasible with any digital sterling that does end up coming out. I mean, to be fair, the Bank of England has absolutely said they haven't yet taken a formal decision. But to be frank, there is a direction of travel. They are going to get there. It's just how they get there and when, I suppose, is the other point. Um, Changing the subject slightly, given there is so much uncertainty all around here and we don't know quite when or indeed if, you know, definitions will come into focus and that sort of thing. What are financial services firms actually doing in practice then when it comes to approaching crypto compliance?
2: Yeah, I I think um, that's one of the biggest challenges and that's what we get called upon to help businesses out with is, excuse me, figuring out the regulation and how to navigate it. And oftentimes the regulations are there. It's just... Um, there's a few instances. I mean, on one hand, uh, especially we're talking about securities. Um, you know, security law's been there for a long time, and, and uh, it's, oftentimes it's just when you do the analysis, you don't get the answer. The companies don't get the answer they want, and you know, they want to offer tokens and and uh, raise capital, but they don't want to offer securities, and that's a problem. And you know, we typically advise that way. But there are a lot of areas where there is um, uncertainty. Um, and or where the regulations were never drafted with digital assets in mind, and so they don't quite work. Um, Digital securities or tokenized securities is an area where we've seen a lot of interest from businesses. They see value in being able to unlock frozen or uh, illiquid markets with uh, high-velocity digital assets, something that you can move quickly. Um, And they're willing and they want to do these the right way and have approached the SEC about digital security offering or tokenized security offerings. Um, but the rules don't quite work. Um, the rules don't, you know, they require a, a custodian and a transfer agent. Um, but those concepts are almost, um, unnecessary when you can move something on a blockchain, you don't need a transfer agent to take the paper, Shares from one, you know, DTCC vault to another, that kind of thing. So um, there is sometimes a lack of clarity, and there's a lot of educating to do to get the regulators to understand that, and to try to get them to take a, you know, <clears throat> a broader view of of the regulation or change uh, or you know modify the regulation. We've seen some movement at the SEC. Um, but big picture, there is this lack of clarity in, in that that creates the challenge of regulatory risk that nobody wants to deal with. Um, I think if we had more clarity, then we'd see more money flowing into the space. Um, so, so there is some stifling of innovation here. Um, and at the end of the day, I think there's a lot of rules that people could tell you they want, but they would be happy with rules they could live with. And... So we are kind of waiting for, innovate, for, for regulators to catch up with the innovators. Um, and I guess as an observation, I'll say I have seen, you know, some firms that, and this is obviously not how we would counsel our clients, but some firms who've sort of thrown caution to the wind and said, you know what, I'm going to just be sort of the Uber model. I'm going to run with it. We're going to do it. And um, hopefully we gain, you know, first mover advantage. And when the regulators catch up with us, we'll deal with them. Um, And that's been, some of those firms have been successful, others have have not, Um, but uh, we've seen all those different approaches to dealing with this uh, kind of uh, immediate challenge.
0: Yeah, challenge is such a good word with all of this. So what are the biggest immediate challenges that could stop cryptos reaching their potential? I mean, you've spoken about the gap between the innovators and where the regulators are. Is that the biggest challenge or are there other things we've not quite discussed yet that are bigger challenges to stop cryptos reaching their potential?
2: Yeah, I mean, there's a, yeah. So I, I think the number one challenge, certainly in the US, but probably around the world, is this, this, the regulatory challenge. And you have regulators who are, you know, facing something new and uncertain. And, and you know, understandably, they're concerned that if, when, if, when things blow up, it's going to be on their hands. They're the ones who are going to get hauled up to Congress to explain why they weren't on the watch. So, so I understand the regulator's viewpoint. Um, and, but that lack of clarity, um, and that regulatory risk is certainly the, the biggest challenge, but I think there are other challenges. I'm more optimistic about the other challenges. So the markets are still not mature and we're seeing a lot of people reinventing the wheel, um, uh, you know, in terms of things like um, prime brokerage and just sort of the basic financial infrastructure that we had for a long time in the more mature like equity and even derivative markets being built up in the digital asset ecosystem. And as more and more institutional type players come in, they're bringing their know-how and skill sets from, say prime brokerage in a equity space to the digital asset space. And so those challenges are still there. The markets aren't as mature as you would see in some of these other assets, but um, I'm pretty confident that those, um, that infrastructure is being built as we speak and it's going to be built out. And I think that's going to be a big, uh, you know, we'll see more and more smart money move into the space, more and more institutional money move in the space as you um, firms build out that infrastructure. So I I do, I do stand by the the regulatory piece is is the biggest challenge.
0: We're slightly running out of time here, which is a great change. Two things as a sort of um, roundup before we go onto the takeaways and that sort of thing. Two things that are seen to be threats rather than challenges, perhaps to um, cryptos. One is climate and the other is cyber. Now, for those two, is it all a case of perception? Or is there some basis to those threats? Do you think?
2: Yeah, well, look, I'm, I am um, probably somewhat biased, but there's a, you know, a, electricity, and I've done work in sort of traditional electricity markets in the past, you know, electricity, it's it, we talk. to, so, so I should back up, there's this perception that um, Bitcoin is not green, it, uses, it consumes a lot of energy to mine Bitcoin, and that's seen as uh, societal bad. Um, but at the end of the day, electricity is a commodity that's priced by the market. And if it makes sense for someone to um, turn on their dryer and dry their clothes based on the price of electricity, they're going to do it. And if it makes sense for someone to mine Bitcoin based on the price of electricity, um, then they'll do it. If, if society has a problem with that, then that's a problem with the pricing of electricity, not with the product or the the, the behavior. Um, Bitcoin is, um, uh, you know, it does consume a lot of electricity. Um, I think that the Bitcoin community is uh, looking for more and more ways to use renewable energy. Um, I was speaking with one of the largest North American Bitcoin miners the other day about sourcing power and they said that they do not use coal just because it is just from the just from the perception and the hassle of coal based electricity they're they're not entering into contracts for that type of electricity they're primarily using nuclear hydro and then you know solar and wind um but i do think it's a big perception issue if you think about it bitcoin is like the best battery in the world. It allows you to take energy from places of abundance to places of scarcity. You, if you have cheap, abundant electricity in one part of the country or the world for that matter, and you can create Bitcoin. So electricity is not easy to move around. Bitcoin is. So you can produce Bitcoin in a place where there's cheap energy and move it to a place where energy is expensive It's essentially allowing you to move energy quickly and easily and balance the load across a national or international grid. Um, So I think that's a lot of that is is education and perception. On the cyber piece, um, you know, I I also think there's a perception issue here. People said, oh, uh, you know, pipeline ransomware was paid in Bitcoin. If we just get rid of Bitcoin, then we'll get rid of ransomware. Well, ransomware and terrorist attacks—all these things have been going on for a long time. The fact that the government was able to claw back or find the most of the ransom in this pipeline hack um, speaks to how <laughs> good or bad, depending on your perspective, uh, Bitcoin is from a from a you know criminal activity standpoint. There's a misconception. Bitcoin is not anonymous. It's pseudonymous. Cryptocurrencies, for the most part, are traceable on a ledger, an immutable blockchain ledger. And that's, that's one of the, the great features. Um, it's much easier to hide your criminal activity by taking and using a brown bag of $100 bills than it is by sending Bitcoin, because there are digital fingerprints when you use uh, Bitcoin. So I think, again, that's more of an issue of Educating lawmakers and policymakers.
0: Thank you. So really, we are talking about a lot of perception there. A lot of perception. Um Susanna, take yeah, if I could. Sorry, no go, go. Susanna, go.
1: if 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 I could add in real quick, I I agree with Kevin on both fronts. Um, on the ESG aspect, you know, one of the comparisons is it's a lot cheaper to make Bitcoin than it is to mine gold. You know, that's it, it's a it's an interesting you know, environmental debate that people sometimes have, but from the, let's say from the cyber risk aspect, um, it's my belief and many people that I've spoken to, Kevin included, that it's the on-ramps and off-ramps of, you know, the blockchain that is the critical aspect. What good is Bitcoin unless you can convert it into fiat currency to go spend it on Cars, drugs, homes—you know, automobiles, uh, illicit activities, arms, etc. You know, Bitcoin in and of itself—it has to be converted to cash inevitably. So it is those on-ramps, off-ramps from the blockchains, from the exchanges into fiat currency—that is the critical point. Which I think over time has has actually shrunk. Uh, you know, what we cited it in the report: um, the amount of illicit activity in Bitcoin last year was estimated to be like less than $10 billion, which is not a not a very large number, frankly. However, the colonial pipeline, you know, hacks and things like that seem to always capture the headlines. So the, I think there very much is a perception, uh, you know, risk there or a misperception that's that continues to perpetuate uh, out there. So just my, my, mm-hmm. my two cents to add in.
0: No, no, I, I would agree completely on the perception, which is one of the, I would add that into the list of challenges facing cryptos. It has some PR work to do. Let's put it that way. Um. So takeaways for compliance officers. I mean, we've had a pretty wide ranging discussion here. What would you suggest are the key takeaways for compliance officers wanting to deal with cryptos?
2: Yeah, you know, the way we typically operate with companies in this space is to try to forge a collaborative, cooperative relationship with the regulator and to try to do it early um, before you run into problems so that if you do have an issue, if you are um, potentially going to operate in a gray area, you're not going to the regulator asking for help, you know, and meeting them. the first time you you know we typically try to go in with our clients and um, introduce them to the regulator talk about their business potentially scope out any any problem areas ahead of time and that just that just helps so that if you do run into trouble uh you've got that rapport you've got a little goodwill built up and then we also really really need smart companies to come up here come to washington dc and help educate policymakers and regulators. And we've had a lot of success in doing that, but there's a lot more work to do. And when we first started in this space, if you talk to somebody in 2013, 2014 about Bitcoin, uh, they would just talk about Mt. Gox, they'd talk about Silk Road. And those were the types of things, that, that was it. Bitcoin was drug dealer, terrorist, um, you know, uh, hacker type internet money. And we've, we've done a lot. We've come a long way in improving those perceptions, but we still have um, a lot, long way to go. So, getting up here, engaging with regulators, being an educator—those um, are the, the key things.
0: Excellent, thank you, Todd. Anything from your perspective on um, takeaways for compliance no, officers? No, I think
1: um, you know. I think I think it's been a very insightful discussion. I want to thank Kevin. Um, I think my last comment or thought is: things are changing so rapidly. And, you know, just since we did our special report, you know, last month and, you know, put it to bed a few weeks ago, it, it's it's amazing how much has has transpired just in the last week or two. Um, and I think it, it sends a message that this entire space from from either a technology and a regulatory and a compliance perspective is changing every single day. Um, so firms and people need to be looking forward and really stay abreast of you know developments in the space.
0: I could not agree more on that particular point. Well, thank you so much, Kevin. And thank you so much, Todd. I think really just to wrap up, I think I would suggest it is in absolutely everybody's interest that cryptos are subject to a regulatory regime with certainty, with a clear perimeter, coherent definitions, And last but not least, an agreed, well-informed stance on risk and risk management. If we can sort that, there are so many benefits from cryptos that can be reaped by financial services firms and their clients.
1: And Susanna, I would add, there are jurisdictions around the world that are actually doing that. You know, and Kevin mentioned it, Switzerland and Singapore and Bermuda. And some of them are actually, you know, far ahead of all of us. You know, the U.S., Europe and U.K., Etc. There, There are some jurisdictions
0: that are doing that. And it's going to be very interesting to watch. That first adopter benefit, very interesting to watch. And with that, thank you so much for listening to this episode of Compliance Clarified. We'll put a link to the T R I special report on cryptos in the episode notes and the usual link to further information on T R I itself. I'll also drop in there a link to Kevin's firm, Delta Strategy. Last but not least, we'd very much appreciate it if you took the time to review the podcast and please do let us know any suggestions for future topics. Thanks again for listening. Compliance Clarified, a podcast by Thomson Reuters Regulatory Intelligence.